1: And welcome to All Things Therapy. I am so happy to be with you, whether you are watching on Facebook Live, on Instagram, or streaming audio from everywhere podcasts are found. I hope this 45 minutes finds you well. And I'd love for you to rate and review my podcast, if you have not already, <laughs> All Things Therapy on iTunes and where podcasts are found. I've been getting better at asking for what I need because I think it's a skill that we can always cultivate, especially as adults. And it ties into my guest today and his book having to do with perfectionism, who I'm going to bring on in a few moments. But I think those of us that have struggled with perfectionism and and doing our best, but sometime never quite feeling like it's enough, which really speaks to we don't feel like we're enough, which is such an untrue myth that my guest is going to debunk for us today that asking for help. So I'd really enjoy your help and some great reviews, authentic reviews of this show, reach out to me if you're looking to work with a licensed healing practitioner. I'm licensed in California and, and Louisiana as a clinical social worker. I'm doing Zoom and Skype and FaceTime sessions with people all over the world. Don't hesitate to reach out if you're struggling with perfectionism, anxiety, or depression. NolaTherapy.com is my website. It's the abbreviation for. New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy, and shoot me an email, give me a text. I'd love to help work with you on whatever is challenging you today. It's been an intense year, and we're still evolving and growing and changing, and the mission of my show is changing consciousness, one conversation at a time. I love doing that through this work as a podcaster, as well as at the individual level with you. So please reach out. I also avail, offer an online class having to do with empowerment, sourcing from within ourselves and bringing forth our natural innate gifts and abilities that sometimes it just takes us believing in ourselves some more. So again, nola therapy on Instagram and Facebook. And lastly, having to do with me before we get to my guest is my book that dropped the Chiron Effect, healing our core wounds through astrology, empathy, and self-forgiveness. It is available everywhere. Books are sold online, as well as at Barnes & Noble, the brick and mortar Barnes & Noble stores, which is so awesome. And on Audible, Audible. if you like audiobooks like I do, they actually sponsor this podcast and they will give you a free audiobook download of your choice to try them out. And you can take advantage of that if you're not already a subscribing member by going to audibletrial.com forward slash allthingstherapy. As well as Amazon Music, who supports this show, you can download a free month of music by going to getamazonmusic.com forward slash ATT. They have over 70 million songs to choose from. And if you enjoy this show, don't hesitate to support me through the crowdfunding campaign I have at patreon.com forward slash All Things Therapy. There are so many creators. I support some other podcasters there that I love, like Nikki Eisenhower of the Emotional Badass podcast. There are artists and other content creators that you can look at and support for as little as a dollar a month. Okay, now the main event. There's a new book out. And this book is offering healthy coping techniques for children who struggle with being perfectionistic and for their parents. And truthfully, I was telling the author before we came live, there are things in here that resonate with me. Like, have you ever had a hard time with yourself when you make a mistake and you get really judgmental and critical? And it's really like emotional cutting. It really hurts to be that hard on ourselves. Or have you ever skipped a meal or not slept enough to get a project done. And has all this caused you to feel anxious or depressed? So you can know if you're experiencing this as an adult, it's even more debilitating for children. And Julian Reeve has written this book. He himself struggled with being a perfectionist for 40 years and he was in the top 1% of his field. You know his work. He was the music director and conductor of the Broadway musical Hamilton and at age 43 developed health problems that landed him a heart attack and got him to really change his life and write this book speaking to the importance of early intervention. And what he himself had to learn about the do- downside of perfectionism and the underlying anxiety and depression that fuels it. So, Julian, I really want to welcome you for taking your time out today.
0: Thanks for having me, Lisa. Great to be here.
1: You're welcome. How, how are you today?
0: I'm great. Thanks. Yeah, it's a nice and beautiful day in Los Angeles. So you can't, no complaints.
1: Awesome. So where do you want to start us on your book on perfectionism?
0: Yeah, I mean, ostensibly, this is the book that I wish I'd read as a kid. Um, I grew up subconsciously uh, in a very perfectionistic household. Both of my parents were successful musicians. And uh, my mother actually was my very first piano teacher. Uh, She gave me my first lesson when I was four. Um, And subconsciously, um, I... uh, I basically started developing perfectionistic habits through learned behavior i could I could see it subconsciously in in my parents, um, but also because because my my mother was was my first piano teacher. Um, mistakes uh, to me at that age were actually an opportunity for my mother to love me less. So suddenly I started developing the thinking that actually if I made a mistake, I would get love less. So, of course, you start developing per- uh, perfectionistic tendencies. Um, and that, that can be true of, of kids across the board, not specific to that particular example, but it can start very young. So ostensibly, this book kind of gives children the, uh, the tools to be able to deal with perfectionism in an early age.
1: And so I appreciate you sharing that vulnerability of, of the connection of, you know, receiving love and having to do it right or having mm-hmm. to do it her way. Yep. And I think that's the messaging that can be so hurtful is instead of being your authentic self as a child is having to navigate how to get your needs met.
0: Yes, completely. And I think uh, authenticity is something that, you know, it's very much more in the conscious mind now than it was when I was growing up, I was born in 74. Um, So, you know, there's much more awareness around authenticity now than there was then. But it is so important. And obviously, you know, parenting can can inform authenticity at, at that age, certainly.
1: And I think what you're saying, Julian, really ties into the piece around self compassion that your book goes so deeply into. Can you talk to us about that
0: yeah, sure so self compassion is is ostensibly so uh, Kristin Neff, who's like the leading psychologist yeah. in in self compassion would describe it as having three components self kindness where we learn to be warm and understanding towards ourselves mindfulness where we discover how to observe thoughts and feelings as they arise but not necessarily to engage deny or react to them and then there's a uh, common humanity where we recognize that suffering and imperfection is just a part of the human experience um so those three elements kind of make up self compassion and the the book uh goes a long way to you know first of all we discover Kind of what perfectionism is, the difference between healthy and unhealthy perfectionism. Then we kind of get into self compassion a bit, and we we teach uh, the the kids exactly what self compassion is. Um, and then uh, we we listen and read three stories uh, featuring three different perfectionistic children, all experiencing slightly different things with perfectionism. And Captain Perfection then teaches uh, those kids uh some really cool ways to to overcome their perfectionism and, and to manage their behaviors and then kind of comes the the really the the, the really cool part of the book which is developing a, a self-compassion superpower mm-hmm. so so uh, so captain perfection works with the reader to develop skills that they will be able to use in each three of those areas for self-compassion against uh, perfectionism and the reason why self-compassion is so important is that it's been proven to regulate the experience between perfectionism and depression. So if children learn these techniques early, then they're going to be able to steer away from the maladaptive areas and steer away from like low self-esteem, um, the, not being able to celebrate when they do well, fear of yeah. failure, all or nothing thinking, like there's only one way to do things, you know. There's a whole list of perfectionistic behaviors um, that can be avoided if if we get in there earlier, uh, sooner rather than later.
1: Will you define for us what perfectionism is as a baseline?
0: Yeah, I mean, perfectionism is ostensibly going out to be uh, to achieve the very best that you can achieve. Unfortunately, it comes along with um, self criticism. So um, the, the, the problem with perfectionism in society right now is that it's often regarded as a one-dimensional entity. So we all have an idea of what we think perfectionism is, and dependent on whether we experience it or not, or the level of experience that we have with it, we'll label it either good or bad, or somewhere in the middle. And it's important to recognise that perfectionism is, is multidimensional. um Some psychologists argue, actually, whether there's any positive aspects to perfectionism at all. Having been a perfectionist for 40 years, I actually think there are. I also think that it's important to recognize how perfectionists feel about their perfectionism. A study I did last year proved almost overwhelmingly that perfectionists value their traits in some way, shape or form. And so, if we start using language that that doesn't connect with them, because we're trying to persuade them that actually there are no positive aspects to perfectionism at all, we're not going to connect with them. So, I like to think, and I, I kind of used this on on my TED talk last year, um, that you know, there's an adaptive side, the positive side, which is you know, setting high standards, very conscientious, great attention to detail, strong work ethic, but unfortunately, there's all the maladaptive stuff too, like the low self esteem. Uh, self-deprecating humor, you know, there, there's a whole list there. So yeah, it's it's a very dense and uh, you know, quite tricky subject to to get our heads around. Um, but it's important that we get into the weeds and, and really discover how it affects us.
1: There is so much truth in what you just said, Julian, in a in a short amount of time. And I'd like to kind of tease some of that out. As far as when you talked about understanding our own relationship to perfectionism and and that it's not all good or bad, going back to how you mentioned moments ago, black and white thinking, and how a lot of life are shades of gray, and learning to become more comfortable with that can help with one's ability to self-soothe when things aren't going well. And I was also thinking as you were talking that there's a relationship between having a low threshold to tolerate frustration, and I think perfectionism, And then the emotional meltdown, you know, that happens within children and adults. And so I wondered, can you talk to us about some of that? And especially what you noticed about how we can take the positive aspects of perfectionism, doing our best, and really amplify that while minimizing the harming aspects of it.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I really love what you've just said. And I think the baseline for all perfectionists should be acceptance. Um, the, the, the true root of perfectionism, as far as I consider it to be, is self-worth. Um, if, if we value ourselves, uh, we will naturally want to steer further away from uh, damaging perfectionistic uh, tendencies um acceptance is huge um and how we can begin to kind of really get into the into the weeds of how perfectionism affects us um, is simply by education and you can start with a really simple exercise and start with a pros and cons list how does perfectionism affect you so get out get a, a diary get a notepad get a piece of paper whatever that looks like and for two weeks carry it with you and just kind of note perfectionistic behaviors. Um, get into the detail of exactly what it is, when it occurred, because the the when and the what will help us um, really kind of figure out the triggers for for what actually gets us to to that point. Um, in terms of being able to to manage perfectionism successfully and looking at healthy versus unhealthy, the the what what I've just talked about about the pros and cons list actually really helps us because. By identifying the pros and cons, we really identify our perfectionistic values. And so we really get to the nub of, we, we get, get to the root of um, the parts that we consider valuable and the parts that we consider damaging. And Once we have that list, um, we then understand the behaviours a bit more so that then we can start to learn specific uh, kind of um Techniques that will overcome those specific behaviors.
1: And Julian, how do we introduce this to our children? I know you have a daughter. How does if a if someone's listening, like, oh my gosh, this would be so helpful for my son, my daughter. Where might they start?
0: Yeah, sure. I, I'm actually not a parent, um, but the the book is full of this stuff, and okay. kind of I, I've done I've done um, a, a huge amount of research to know that you know kids. Kids will uh, experience the, the, uh, the, the examples that, I, that I've put in the book. And, you know, a, a great place to start in the home, certainly for parents, is, you know, realise that when a child is in the middle of a perfectionistic episode, they are not able to rationalise with anything that you're saying in that moment. It's important that for parents to understand that. So, you know, if you're a parent and your child has made a mistake, let's say, on an art project and they've, the the world has ended and they're rolling around on the living room floor in floods of tears and we've all seen it and it's a horrible place to be and you don't want your child to be in that level of pain. It's important just to understand that actually the the important thing to do at that moment is just to connect with them to calm them down. -hmm. So it's not, you know, phrases like, well, it looks great to me or well, you tried your best and that's all you can, you know, it's not gonna land, it's not gonna sit. Um, so just just get in there and do what every great parent does. And, you know, you, you'll you know your child in terms of how to calm them down. But later on, you can kind of treat it, treat it as a kind of teaching moment. Um, and I think at that point, we spoke earlier on about vulnerability. Um, when you're kind of teaching or coming with your, your your child to talk about what happened, try and figure out why it happened. But also be mindful of the fact that you know there is a chance that for whatever reason your child is picking up on uh, or is learning behaviors that he's picking up on in the home so it could be you know that that, that vulnerability from parents is super valuable as it, the more the more you can be vulnerable with your child, the, the less they will put you on a pedestal, the less they will need feel the need to be perfect themselves, to live up to your expectations. And so in that learning moment, you can actually consciously draw from your own experience, from your, maybe your own childhood. Oh, well, you know, I used to make all sorts of mistakes when I was a child in art projects. It sounds simple, but that level of connection for a child is huge because they haven't yet developed in 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 ways that that we now understand as adults and so if they're actually able to develop on your level because they appreciate that you were once at where they are then then there's really um, great opportunity for growth and steering away from the kind of negative aspects of perfectionism.
1: and I think that's so accurate what you're saying about the first step is to help your child self-soothe, because that's something children learn. We're not born with the ability to self-soothe. As babies, we have to be soothed by a caretaker, by parents. And then as we develop, it, it's about teaching those self-management skills. And you you use the word mindfulness. How how can we teach children mindfulness?
0: Yeah, so mindfulness in, in the book, uh, I, I actually this is a really great technique that I've actually used myself and and continue to use. When, when children are in um, perfectionistic episodes, they're often either in the past or in the future. So they're, they're rarely in the present. Um, They're either worrying about what's happened or what might happen. Um, And so bringing them back to the present is, is super important and mindfulness can be really great with that. And the example in the book, uh, is is something I, I've I've used a bunch, which is simply just to have the child notice what is around them. So what what is in their peripheral vision? So for me right now, I have a I have two lights on stands. I have a piano. I have a uh, a wall. I have a door. I have a wrapping Christmas wrapping paper. I have, and then get into the the detail of exactly what or more detail of those specific items so the 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 lights are black uh, on black stands uh, they've got cables coming out of them etc etc and the more detail you go into and the longer you spend with this exercise the more your child is pulled back into the present and away from the future or the past uh, which allows basically a reset Um, and that's a really valuable tool to to kind of you know overcome those perfectionistic um Time, so that then you're able to press reset and actually have the discussion of why it happened in the first place.
1: That's so good, Julian, because in the therapy world, what you're talking about is called containment and our ability to contain our emotions and self-soothe. And even working with myself, I specialize in adolescents and adults. And so much of my work is teaching adults how to self-soothe when things upset them when something doesn't go as expected, and it all really has to do with our own central nervous system and how Mm. to manage it by what is happening in between our two ears Mm. and what we're telling ourselves about what's happened, the stories that we create around our lives, that narrative we have control over to change instead of, you know, say observing what is, it's about You know, using the imagination. And you talk about that visualization in your book, even with kids. Can you share some of that with us?
0: Yeah, I mean, this was uh, I I kind of took visualization from um, a a story that I I probably learned in my late 30s from from, um, the footballer Pele. Uh, Pele was was uh, one of the most famous footballers ever ever written. Soccer player, played for Brazil, arguably one of the best players in the world, and he used to visualise before every match. So whilst there was kind of chaos going on in the in the in the. Um, changing room before the game with all of his teammates, he was lying down on his back with his eyes closed, visualising the game that he wanted to play. So he was regulating his body through breathing and he was regulating his mind um, to be able to go out and be the genius that, that he was. And visualisation is, is such a powerful tool um, for perfectionists because, you know, what, what we think is, is, is perfect is, in a moment, can be driven by so many different things that actually can be uh, drivers that aren't true, that are drivers that actually don't need to be adhered to at all, can be drivers that actually we have no value to. Mm -hmm. So the the more we're able to kind of visualise, bring ourselves back to the present, then we're in a better place to be able to judge uh, whether this is actually something we want to be perfect at or not.
1: And it does start with, like you were saying a few minutes ago, teaching children and teaching ourselves. I had to learn myself when I started to feel really anxious. It usually meant I'm going too far out in the future than what I have the ability to vision or cope with or imagine. And it was literally sitting here and saying, look, there's the red couch. And it might sound silly to you listening at first, but I encourage you to try it because it helps bring you back. To the moment. Like I'll like knock on my desk, like a wooden desk, red couch, and like start breathing with that. If you're in your car and you're in traffic, and some people escalate emotionally up to and including road rage. It's really about like steering wheel, grip the steering wheel, put a window down. Like starting to breathe in a slower rhythm can help your body start to relax and calm down. And it's so important to teach your children these skills because as we get older we tend to stay rooted in what we know and it can just get so much worse the consequences of a meltdown as a child you know looks can be so problematic as an adult so it's just really important what you're saying to ground yourself in the room by looking at objects and even saying them out loud I'll have my clients say you know what do you see in front of you and it helps
0: absolutely and you know i love what you just said about breath of breath uh until it was too late you know i had a heart attack at the age of 43 um which is way too young for for a heart attack um and you know ostensibly that was born out of um some should we say dubious lifestyle choices in my 20s and 30s that was driven by my perfectionism but um Much of how I learned to kind of navigate my perfectionism after the heart attack uh, when I was still working on on Hamilton was the realisation that breath in stressful situations is huge. Uh, I actually had somebody assess me whilst I was performing and I had gotten into such kind of bad techniques and bad habits with, with performing and kind of. My um, fight or flight mode was was kind of always on to the point that I would hold my breath whenever I was conducting or playing piano, and of course that's a, that's a bit like you know not putting any oil into a car engine. Uh, if if you haven't got any oil running around keeping all those parts lubricated, then you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Um, so the 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 power of breath is huge in all sorts of, of areas, and I actually make it uh, make it a point now to to do ten minute. Uh, 10 minute breath work before I do anything during the day I I always make sure I'm out of bed Um, but whether that's before yoga or before emails whatever that looks like it's simply getting the breath going because you know all of that breathing calms calms us down you know the parasympathetic nervous system switches on leads to higher creativity you know all all of that stuff and it's super important.
1: Okay I I was curious to ask you about here you are doing Hamilton. Amazing. Love it. As all my friends who are listening do so thank you for that as I said before we came live so what happened for you heart attack at 43 is terrifying yeah
0: sure so I I worked on the Broadway production uh, on two uh, in 2016 and then they asked me to take out the first national tour at the top of 2017 we started in San Francisco this was actually before we moved to LA this is why my wife and I moved west coast from east coast uh, because we we were at the Pantages for uh, for five months but prior to that We opened in San Francisco and uh, three months into uh, the tour, I was walking home up a hill uh, and I had a heart attack. I had a heart attack on a Friday night. It wasn't one of those kind of, you know, Overly dramatic ones you see on the TV. It was it was all very strange, and I was sweating and couldn't breathe, and I was in pain. But it wasn't collapsed to the floor or anything like that. To the point where I actually, you know, went to bed. Uh, I I actually conducted the the matinee the following day.
1: Oh my gosh! Uh,
0: I I didn't do the show on Saturday evening because I felt so unwell, and and ended up taking myself to the hospital on the Sunday morning, and that's when it was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, right coronary artery was ninety percent blocked, hanging on by a. According to the cardiologist, um, and that's when I kind of really um, jumped into some work with a really great uh, psychologist up in San Fran, Michael Klein, um, who really changed my life by introducing me to self-compassion. Um, because it, that it was through those sessions that we really understood that my perfectionism was really the the kind of bottom line cause for the heart attack.
1: Wow! And did you had you? meditated or practice any of those mindfulness techniques prior to no. working with him okay how was it for you to add that to your life
0: um well at first difficult because so you know uh, the 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 thing that really opened my eyes uh, and and kind of broadened my horizons into the power of all of what we're talking about was yeah. the book the gifts of imperfection by brene brown um just to buy the book took me weeks because it had the word imperfect in the title and I just the thought of embracing imperfection was was something where I, I was like well how can I do that I'm you know the the boss of the biggest musical on the planet right now the press is high the standards are even higher um I need to maintain this level of of stress to be able to get all of the same standards um but I realized kind of you know not not too soon after buying the book but actually, there are many cool ways that we can kind of almost play with our perfectionism to, uh, you know, massage it so that you're able to still demand the high standards uh, that you demand of yourself and of others. But you just do it in kind of ways. And that's when really I started to dig much deeper into the self-compassion element um, and, you know, the, just the general awareness of breath work and meditation and yoga, et cetera, et cetera.
1: You know, and what you're saying, Julian, really leads right into the paper I'm holding Mm -hmm. in my hand where you talk in your work, and I referenced it in the introduction, saying about debunking myths around uh, self-compassion and such. You talk about there are these five key points where you talk about self-compassion is more than just being kind to yourself, that the practice of self-compassion doesn't make us weak or lazy, That self compassion actually makes us more productive. No one's perfect, and the journey is as important as the destination. Mm. Which can you speak about what resonates for you around these areas?
0: Well, yeah, sure. So um, the journey being as as important as the destination was actually probably. The most interesting and detailed uh, journey that I had with with Hamilton, because of course you know my job was uh, performance based, and so therefore it's results based, and so I go to work every night, and I'm asking the cast to sing all the right notes in the right order, in the right key with all the right lyrics, and I've got to dance at the same time, and etc. etc. And then I've got the musicians to look after, and then I've got me to look after. Um, so. Of course, the, the, the focus is on the product that you're trying to achieve, in this case, the destination. Um, but I always used to kind of, before the heart attack, I always denoted whether a performance of Hamilton was perfect, simply on what I've just discussed, on right notes, on um, you know whether people have made any mistakes, whether the intention was good, et cetera, et cetera. But I realized that actually there are different ways to assess what perfection actually is. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, if I've got two and a half thousand people sat behind me screaming, enjoying the show, I've got two two and two and a half thousand people that all think perfection is something different. We all have an idea of what perfection actually is. Absolutely. So, so once you realise that, you begin to realise that what you're trying to attain is completely unachievable, because you're never going to please everybody. So that that reduces one kind of level of stress or a driver of stress. Um, The the I I managed to get to the point where I would regard uh, as. as, uh, a performance of Hamilton being successful or perfect on the level of experience from a to Z rather than a to B to C to D. So rather than thinking, okay, we've just played the overture. There wasn't an overture in Hamilton. So we've just played Alexander Hamilton. We're just about to go into Aaron Burr. Then we're just about to go into my shot. I would at the end of each number go well was that perfect okay great let's keep going let's keep going and at some point invariably there would be well no that wasn't etc cetera, etc cetera. um but the the global perception of of perfection is really interesting because what it does is it opens up a whole new level of connection so rather than thinking too detailed about whether the notes were correct whether people were singing the right lyrics it became much more about feeling and how connected we all were so if there if became much more okay well i played all the right notes but did i lean into the experience of being in something because perfectionism often perfect, often prevents us from truly being in something yes. because we're too busy trying to perfect it wow. so if you try and peel away that layer of the onion then actually you're into the core Uh, a bit more and ironically you're able then to feel freer which that talking of irony stops you making mistakes because you're not thinking about making mistakes so because you're freer you're truer to your authentic self which means you are expressing yourself in the way that you were employed to express yourself which means the audience is having a better time Um, and just being able to do that Um, was a really uh, powerful thing. And I got to the point I was conducting a performance uh, of of the show at the Kennedy Center in D.C. And I got to the place where I was so in such a meditative state that I basically watched myself conduct the show. And I was about three feet above myself. And I was able to see in front of me, to the side of me and behind me, so I could see the audience even as I'm watching the stage, and it was such a, an incredibly powerful uh, experience. But all really born out of forcing myself into the middle of something through my authentic self, uh, looking at perfectionism from a different through a different lens.
1: Again, what you said in that short amount of time so powerful. The themes I'm thinking of. You're discussing redefining perfectionism, Mm -hmm. one, and the experience you described of being able to step back and observe oneself with like taking in the whole thing, really tapping into one's intuition versus having to kind of grind it out, effort it out. And like you said, was that right? Like trying to micromanage all of these people that come together to be Hamilton impossible, like you said, versus the general feeling tone of the experience and even hearing the cheers obviously people are loving it so maybe you can start to love it a little more too <laughs> feel more guided and directed as you described versus like that high anxiety that that really takes you out of knowing what needs to happen in the moment yeah right yeah,
0: I, I, absolutely and you know certainly when you're a leader and i this is this speaks to a lot of the work that i do in the business field when you're a leader, you, you feel a certain level of responsibility, obviously, because you have a level of responsibility. But the key is to recognize when you're taking that level of responsibility too far through perfectionism, because you're putting you're taking yourself away from your true self. And so therefore you're not leading authentically. So nobody will follow you authentically because they're being led by something that they shouldn't be led by. Um, but I mean, that takes a long time and, you know, I'm still not fully there with all that stuff, but well, think- it's a, it's, it's a really, it's a power, as you say, it's a powerful kind of concept. Um, and to, to kind of look through perfectionism in, in a kind of redefined way
1: yes, um,
0: through that lens is actually, Re- really powerful because you, you can then start to basically achieve the same results in healthier ways, uh, which is kind of, a, you know, the the baseline of, of my whole ethos on the subject.
1: And, you know, it's one of the biggest myths that we only perform well through criticism and judgment when it's truly from like a coaching, a, a supportive, like, hey, you got this Come on. All right. There's going to be another opportunity to practice this using reflection, reflecting on what happened, what you might have done differently, and knowing you'll have the opportunity to do it differently for more of a coaching mindset.
0: Yeah. And and, uh, again, you know, it was this experience through the heart attack that really made me realize that as a musician, I was ostensibly an athlete. I'd never really thought of myself as an athlete before, but, you know, we are, those of us who work in kind of high, high pressure, high performance jobs, we're all athletes. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that the athletes are, are very, um you know, very able and willing to, to say that they have a coach. Whereas uh, I, I find the kind of nuance in language that, you know, outside of, outside of sports, you know, we tend to veer towards teachers or educators as titles but actually they're all the same thing they're they're all coaches but we don't think of them as coaches to your point in certain industries because we're so hardwired to believe that actually you know whipping results out of either ourselves or other people is the only way to do it so it's a really interesting concept again it's, it's all to do with the reframing
1: it is and the themes that your book talks about that we're discussing and that you're doing now as a public speaker this is a lifelong journey the the reframing of perfectionism learning to be an an encouraging coach to ourselves to our children it's like an endless journey as I see it. I'm curious what it's been like for you to transition into a speaking career, TEDx talk and helping businesses and people adapt adapt some of these principles.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been great. I think the hardest thing for, for me is that I've, I've had to be, I've had to accept that vulnerability is truth and truth is, is value. Um, And, you know, brene Brown again was was a, a big kind of catalyst for me with with all of that sort of stuff and I, I think the hardest thing I've found is that you know I cannot be true to other people and their journey without being true to myself, but obviously i i I have to be very, very open with others on my journey along the way and you know when you're learning new things when you're discovering new things as you know every coach every therapist you know we're, we're, we're all learning all of the time
1: Yeah.
0: Um. just that realization which you know let's face it is is a fundamentally different aspect from where I've been for 30 years of my career I, I spent 30 years of my career in a these are the notes play them in the right order do that again tomorrow oh and by the way you've got 60 other people to look after the 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 workspace that I now work in is fundamentally the opposite of of that thinking but I think that's actually why I enjoy it so much and it's also why I think I'm uh, not blowing my hand trumpet but I kind of quite good at it certainly connected with it because I've been able to see both sides. I've sat both sides of the fence. Um, But you're absolutely right in saying it's a lifelong journey. And it's a lifelong journey for the teacher as well as the student.
1: It is. And I think affirming ourselves is a beautiful way to shift perfectionism and really ease into um, self-compassion. You know, so I think it's really wonderful to affirm our strengths and Mm. what we're doing well, that I think there's not enough of that again you know it, it it really starts to be the flip side of the coin to self deprecation and criticism the self affirmation and praise and and praising others when you see someone doing something well to let them know that instead of just keep it to yourself
0: yes, and you know i I, I love what you just said about praising others too, because this comes up in the book you know the the common humanity element uh, of of self compassion is so important to recognize i mean i have i find it fascinating that that we're all very very able or mostly very very able to to be to show empathy and sympathy and compassion to other people but the mirror the, the minute we put a mirror uh, up and we're forced to kind of try and treat ourselves in the same way we find it really difficult um, so the the book actually encourages developing that language, thinking of your best friend. So um, I, I can't read. It might have been Alexis, one one of the kids in the book. Um, she she uh, Captain Perfection works with her and kind of you know gets her to develop that language by thinking of her best friend Emily. Well, what would you say to Emily in this situation? And then you say, well, now use the same words but say it to yourself. Um, And that's a really great way to kind of develop that sort of language. Just think of your best friend or a parent or anyone that you care about. What would you say to them in a a moment, a tricky situation, a difficult emotional moment? Um, Show them all the love, all the support, all the care that you would, but then actually realise that you're really talking to yourself. And it it doesn't take long if you keep practicing that to really start developing some really important and uh, integral language that will keep you going for the rest rest of your life, really.
1: Absolutely, yes. And that is the way to really think of what would I tell someone else I love and care about that's doing something amazing, doing something awesome, and say that exact thing to yourself. Yeah. So important.
0: Uh, But it, it sounds so simple um uh, it, it's almost like well that really can't be how how we suddenly develop self-compassion and certainly it's not the only way but it, it you know self-compassion the more you dig into it the more you realize that the 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 power of of self-compassion is actually the simplicity it's just that we we become as a human race the older we get in life i think the further away we get from simple truths and so much of self compassion is all about simple truth, and so really, it's just—it's re- not learning something new; it's reconnecting uh, with something that, that we've forgotten.
1: Yeah, Julian. There's a question from a listener that just typed in. Yeah. What age is the earliest to start with your techniques?
0: Um, the the book aims at uh, kind of six year olds and up. Um, it's not to say that you couldn't start to implement. Many of the techniques, in fact, probably all of, all of them at an earlier age, uh, it was just where I, I kind of you know decided through my research that this would be best best pitched um, but certainly, what we spoke about earlier in terms of the relationship between yourself and your child it 's never too early to to be on the get yourself on the same level as as your children in terms of vulnerability and get them. Get them understanding and appreciating that you're not perfect. That actually, it's not all about the results too. That's 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 important. Celebrate the journey as well as the result, uh, if not more so. Um, And I I think you can you can do that softly and and slowly from from even younger than six.
1: I agree as well. And it's never too early and it's never too late. These principles in your book they are evergreen. They are what today we can adopt as an adult every day, especially during this intense year where people, you know, have found it harder to cope because they have less access to what they used to have access to. So we have to rely on more internal self-soothing, self-talk, and whatever is negative has definitely come to the forefront in this in this period of time. So your book is just as useful for for adults. Mm,
0: yeah, well, thank you. The, you know, the, yeah, the, re, the, the reviews have been lovely. And um, yeah, to, to your point, you know, pretty much every parent has said I've got as much out of this as, as, my, oh, as yeah. my child has, which is great.
1: It's so good. So I have two websites I found for you. One is captain-perfectionism.com where there, it's a really great website. There's actually some swag you offer things people can buy that kit that are so cool for kids. And then julianreeve.com. Are those the best ways for people to reach out? Yeah, to?
0: absolutely. It's captain-perfection.com. And then julianreeve.com. Yeah. Thank you.
1: And on Instagram, you're at julian.reeve and on Facebook, at Julian Reeve 0804. Correct. And I'm going to tag you and everything. So people will have that.
0: Amazing. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Julian, thank you for being my guest. I love your book. I've loved this conversation. And it's such a pleasure and honor to meet you.
0: Absolutely. You too. Thank you so much for having me. You're
1: welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That concludes today's show with Julian Reeve. And uh, what did I want to say? I'm stumbling on my words. This was episode 246. Thank you so much for being here. All of my love to you, and I'll be back with you next week.
0: You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.